I feel like I should just put on my hoodie right now. Because Syracuse is coming out boxing this week. And we're ready to roll. Really? 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 It's, it's probably 94 degrees where you live. You're wearing a hoodie. It is not 94, but it is kind of hot. So that that's that's true. Seth Kamens is over there. I'm Sean Palmer at Seth at Seth and Sean Sports Radio uh, at SU Lawyer S at S Kamens. We're on Facebook. No, <laughs> I couldn't even follow that. Uh, you know, okay. At SU Lawyer, you bask in the glow. It's been 48 hours. Enjoy. Yes, agreed. And we're going to have Mike McAllister of SI.com on at 5.30 to get your Syracuse fix. And um, we look what forward to talking. What if you don't have a Syracuse fix? Then you shouldn't be talking on the show at 5.30. You can, you can oh, say goodbye. <laughs> you can say goodbye. Uh, but we will be talking Jim Beheim and, and most importantly, at least for non-Syracuse fans, is how the transfer program is going to work this year. Because for – Every college student, you get an additional year and how that's going to work. So there's going to be free transfers and it's going to be basically free agency for college basketball and college football after this year. And we'll talk with Mike a little bit about that. Again, 530 to 6, we're going to get him on. He writes uh, specifically on Syracuse. Uh, I believe he did Rivals first and now he's on SI.com. So we'll talk more about the Syracuse and the aura of Syracuse at uh, 5.30, but we are going to push our baseball preview to next week based on both Syracuse's extension into the tournament, Maryland's lack thereof, and um, the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be fair. And the, and the Giants. I'm, I'm wearing my Bama shirt because not unlike, pa- not unlike Pedro in the 2003 uh, ALCS, Bama you- was our daddy last night. And did you lose a bet? I did not. Okay. I did not. They were beating any team in the country not named Gonzaga last. They were absurd. They were beating was, every team in the country last night. Yeah. Was, I called you I called you in in the first half of the second half. Like 5 yeah. minutes into the second half. Yeah. And and we'll get more into this again with Mike, but basically it was there is no team that can beat no. another team when they're shooting 50% from three. It's it, it's impossible. It wasn't even it wasn't even that. I don't think Maryland played bad. I don't. Um, I, I I think Alabama went on one of those runs where you see every once in a while in a, in a tournament you'll just see a team go like USC probably did to a degree last night also, where you just kind of shake your head and you say, "There's nothing my team can do." We yeah. had this actually. I, I brought this up on, on Facebook about 20 years ago. We were the three seed. In 2000, so this is the year before we went to the Final Four with Duke. Um, we were playing UCLA in the Sweet 16 in a, in a second round game. UCLA beat us by 105 to 70, and I remember I watched about 10 minutes of that game, and I think it was Jason Capono had like 74 points. It was one of those things. Not Jason Capono. Jason Capono was that Jason? Yeah, Jason Capono. You're right. It was, it was one of those games where there is not a thing in the world Gary Williams could have done. Nope. And we were going to lose by 25 regardless. And and that's um, what happened last night. You guys were going – any like I said, any team in the country would have lost. Mar- Maryland played a decent game. 
Alabama played a perfect game. They were, they they were impeccable. They were was, impeccable. But we'll talk more about college basketball in the second half of the show. Okay. First, I want to talk about NFL free agency and what the – I don't even have words. So there are certain teams where I am in utter bewilderment as to what they're doing. And maybe, Seth, you can help me out here. And We talked a little bit offline about this, but I wanted to bring this back to the forefront. Okay. First of all, and, and I won't hit on the $173 million that the Giants have put into the could and caboodle. We'll get to that last because that's just obscene. When you, when you talk about the two owners that are basically the most fiscal, fiscally responsible in free agency, you're talking about Robert Kraft and John Mara. And those two decided, screw it. I'm just going to throw as much money as I possibly can this year at free agency. But the number one team that's bewildering to me is those Las Vegas Raiders because I don't got a clue what they're doing, Seth. It seems like they are doubling up on the positions that they have people and they're, they're getting rid of the positions where they have no depth and they were strong. What, what's going on here? I'm, we talked about this, and it makes absolute. Uh, it's a very strange situation to me. They trade. They traded Trent Brown. Yep. Who is their best player? Offen- on the offensive when side. When he's healthy. Thompson. Yep. When he's Josh healthy. Jacobs. You let Devontae Booker go, who's a good backup. He went to the Giants a little bit more than I would have liked to have paid, but so be it. You signed Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake is a starting running back in the NFL. You got him at $6 million a year. You have no offensive line. You let your number one wide receiver, or maybe he won't eventually because Henry Ruggs hopefully will surpass him. And Darren Waller is obviously fantastic. Nelson Aguilar, yeah, yeah, I know. He's on my fantasy team too. I get it. You know, Nelson Aguilar revitalized his career with the Raiders. Now, I don't blame them per se because I would not have paid what New England paid for him. No. But – I, I, I'm just I, – I don't know what this team is doing. I am uh, more baffled, Seth, by the trades than I am the free agency. So Kenyon Drake, if you're going to split him out and you're going to play him in the slot, which, look, he caught 50 passes two years ago and 54 the year before, okay, you can make that claim that you could do that in a Le'Veon Bell type situation if you want. Okay. But you trade Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson, and Trent Brown. So the three guys that posed probably one of the five best offensive lines last year, which is the heart and soul of that team, the major strength of that team. Let's just get rid of them and have Derek Carr sit back and take almost as many sacks probably as his brother did. And that – He'll be out of the league in two years if he takes yeah. as many sacks as David did. Um I'm not sure. I just they, don't get it. They also they signed Theo Riddick, which again, if you're signing Theo Riddick as a backup, fine. If you're trading, are you trading Josh Jacobs? Is yeah. you, you don't want to pay him first tier money, so you want to get rid of him before because he'll be what it'll be in his third year. He's got he'll two more years, year. and then they could franchise him for a third if they wanted what to. What the hell are they doing? Yeah, um, you know, you signed Yannick uh, Ngankwe, which yep. he's a Maryland guy. I get it. But he's been traded three times now in two years. Yeah, to be three times actually in a year. 
But to be fair, the Jacksonville trade was not because they wanted to trade him. He forced a trade to Jacksonville. Okay, but yeah, yeah, it's a bit of I, I'd be concerned, and I actually like the John Brown pickup a lot. Yes, John, John Brown. If you're if you're saying you knew you were getting John Brown, which is again, I have no problem with you letting Aguilar go at eleven or twelve million, whatever New England paid for him a year, and you're getting Brown to three and a half, three and seven that five. Great deal. Brown is a legitimate speedster and a legitimately good, tough receiver. Like it. But the rest of this, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know what they're doing. The, so so let's move on to some other teams that we pretty much have no idea what they're doing. Uh, Houston, another team that I'm at a loss as to what they're doing because, oh. <laughs> look, Deshaun Watson notwithstanding, I don't know what they're doing. And I haven't known what they're doing for a while. I will tell you, Phoenix or Arizona is going all in, absolutely all in, but all in in 2016, not all in in 2021. You're picking up A.J. Green, who finally played 16 games last year, but played 16 games and didn't have 1,000 yards. You have, you're picking up J.J. Watt, who has played, I believe, 75% of all games over the last four years. You let Kenyon Drake go. You let Patrick Peterson go. You have no cornerbacks. Who I don't know who their cornerbacks even are at this point. I think they re-signed Robert Alford uh, to be one of those uh, okay. after they let him go. But they are relying well, on cut him. Look, and I'm and I'm very ha- happy with this for my 16th round pick that Chase Edmonds is going to be their starting running back. So that's a helpful pick for me on fantasy wise. But I'm not sure he's a starting running back in the NFL. And, I mean, he's more of can he become what Tiki Barber was because that's a good comparison of Chase Edmonds well, to Tiki Barber. He can become two, three quarters of what Tiki Barber was. Right, but that's what I'm saying. He's the type of player that Tiki Barber was before he became Tiki Barber. Like, yeah. they're not sure whether he can be that guy. And they're relying on it because they have very little money left. And the best thing about all these situations – is that everybody is punting for two years from now because we're going to see with the new uh, with the new TV deals, we're woo! <laughs> woo! And by the way, if you don't have Amazon Prime, you may be getting it soon because you're not going to be able to watch Thursday Night Football without it. So thank you to my brother for signing up for that. Did um, you not have Amazon Prime before then? I did not. Okay. I paid um, – I paid – I, I spend thirty-five dollars to get free shipping. I don't need I don't need to spend a lot of Says the guy who pays for your Hulu, ESPN Plus, and Disney. You don't pay for my Disney. It's all on the same deal. Yeah, but I use my own. I have my own Disney. Why? Because it's part of the Verizon package. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not know that. I could use okay, who also paid for our radio show for the first eight years. There you go. Although there I made a third of the income that you did. That's, that's why we're on StreamYard right now. Anyway, but the fact is, there are two other teams. And look, we, we discussed them briefly before. The Giants and the Patriots, who are bucking the trend. I mean, bucking what they normally do and going after it. And I think they overpaid for the majority of their players. I think both the Giants and the Patriots both overpaid for the majority of their players. Will it work? Here's the thing about free agency. And, Seth, you 
I don't know if you agree with me, but I think you would. You don't base your team in free agency. You supplement in free agency. Yes. Because teams that base their team in free agency are over the cap very quickly, and they use up their draft picks, and they trade their draft picks, and they have veterans, and those guys get expensive, and there's not a very long window. And no, I, I don't dis I don't disagree with you. Um, look, I'm also a little bit biased. I like the Giants' moves more than I like New England. I don't know what New England did. Um, the Giants, yes, they may have overpaid. The Giants typically seem to overpay on things, but the Giants needed a number one wide receiver. The only yes, one they were going to believe Kenyon Galladay is a number. Kerryon Galladay mean, is a number one receiver. They they do. Okay, that is good. Look, they obviously do, and he was the consensus number one wide receiver out in the market. Sure, he's a, he's different from anyone in the draft. He's just a bigger, stronger yep. guy. He's yep. not a the route runner that Chase or Devontae Smith is. No, Waddle is the closest thing to him in the draft. Right, and and Waddle probably would have been there, but this is. I think that I think the thought process is this for the Giants, and we can get to New England in a minute. Yeah, we almost call it like the Billy Kingish. Syndrome. Where, oh, this is definitely Billy Kingish. Yeah, except you're not trading for a guy for two guys who are 38 years old and pat past their prime and trading all your draft picks to do so. What they decided was here are the three guys I want. I don't really care what I pay. And look, Galladay, I'd rather overpay if Galladay should have been 15 or 16 million. I have less of a problem paying 18 million year plus we both know it's escalating and the caps can escalate next year anyway but i have less of a problem playing what they think is going to be a great player the extra two million than paying jonathan stewart two years seven million which drives which has driven me up a wall in the past dory jackson they needed a second corner he would they got was it three for I think it's 27 million guaranteed over three. So it ends up being 39 total. It ends up seeing being somewhere in the 10 or 11 million dollar range. It's not horrendous. It's not a great deal. It's not a terrible deal. I think it's actually relatively okay. Um, it's more the annoying, you know, annoying little things. Do we really need Devontae Booker for two years at six million? I don't know. I don't think so. Um it's, you know, could, is there a way we could have kept Zeitler, which I would have liked? I, I guess not if we were getting these other two guys, because Zeitler was a very good player. But I have less of a problem with what the Giants did for, because, number one, they can't win without weapons. They have a healthy, healthy Saquon Barkley as a weapon. Yep. A healthy Kenny Galladay is a weapon. Whether yep. you think he's the number one, you know, whatever you think, he's a, he is a weapon. Yeah. Allowing him to be a weapon allows Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton to be single covered, which allows Shepard to be a solid number two slot guy, which is what he should be. And Slayton is a deep threat, which he was two years ago. The question is, can the offensive line hold? And I, I assume they're going to try and, you know, they, they like, seem to like him because they haven't really gone after anyone in the, for offensive line unless they're going to get one. They're going to try and get uh, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern in the draft. Um, the defense, we need pass rush, period. Our, our back four is very good. Our linebackers are okay. We need a pass rusher. The frustrating to me, thing to me is the Leonard Williams deal. And there's yep. nothing I can do. And there's nothing well, they had to resign. Well, here's the thing. You, 
you develop players, and this is when I go back into the draft versus free agency. You develop players, and those are the players you're supposed to keep. Those are the players that you want to keep. Those are the players that you have put through your system. And losing losing, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson just, if I'm a Giants fan, bugs the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. Because he is a guy that should have been kept. And at half the price of Leonard Williams, a different player, hold on, a different player, I get that. Leonard Williams is going to rush the passer a lot more. He can play the edge, which Dalvin Thompson cannot do. He can play along the line, which Dalvin Thompson cannot do. I get that. But when you are paying Aaron uh, Leonard Williams, and this is the reason the Jets were not going to pay Leonard Williams. When you are going to pay Leonard Williams $22 million a year and Aaron Donald is earning $27 million a year, he is not. Aaron Donald. He is nowhere close to Aaron Donald. And he, much like Dak Prescott, bet on himself and won. Congratulations. But I don't want to be the team that wins with him. And that and that is going to be a head scratcher in a couple of years. Yes, the cap will go up, but remember the cap goes up for everybody, right? It's not just mm-hmm. the Giants. It just means that right. there's more funny money to be played. Right. But the, the key players are in place for two years. Agreed. This is a two-year. This is a two-year one. It's a two-year move. So that's fine. So in two years, we can make we can make decisions on some of this. And the reality is also, get them. They need to make the playoffs, or Gettleman loses his job. Yep, Billy King. Billy King. And the you are not keeping your job if you are thirty-first in the league in offense. Correct. So they. That's what they did. And whether they draft Kyle Pitts or an offensive lineman or a defensive line, I don't know. But that I'll, they, laugh if they, I'll laugh if they if they draft Kyle Pitts. I will because you'll have. No, it just means they were, it just means they were trading Ingram. They're trading Ingram, right? But, but yeah. that, but again, that means you're you're just. It's just a rotation of bad draft picks to recycle good draft picks, and it goes well, on. If there is one look, if there is one person who is an expert on bad draft picks, that's this guy. No, oh, not guy. recently, though. Not recently. And why is Quinn and Williams dessert warranted his draft status? Yes. Do you think Quinn so? Number four overall. Number four overall. Yep. Sam you Darnold are. warranted his draft. Uh, status? Sam Darnold. Well, we'll see with Sam Darnold and some some. Some uh, weapons, the same way Daniel Jones Leonard, was. Did Leonard Williams prior to the trade warrant his draft status? No. No. Neither did so Wayne Robinson. Your, argue, your argument about Williams is moot because – No, my argument – My argument about Williams – hold on. My argument about Williams is that he bet on himself and won. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. That, when you said with the Jets, he did nothing with the Jets. Look. Agreed, which is trade. why the Jets were not going to pay him for that yes. matter. But so, he, he did one great with the year. Giants – at a Pro Bowl level, not yeah, at Aaron well, Donald level or Joey Bosa. Agreed. At any agreed. Pro Bowl level. So, All right, so let's let's move on to some of the other great great pickups because there were. Do you some, move to the, right? Well, do you want to move to the Patriots first? Sure. I don't know what great and the Patriots have to go together, but they are trying to reestablish what the Cardinals are in 2016 with the double-headed monster of Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Which I actually think will work out. I do. I I think 
Aguilar playing the role of Randy Moss is not going to work. No. And, yeah, the rest of it doesn't work for me. But the getting Jude, Trent Brown the, on the a Jude deal pick, works. The Juden pickup works for me. Uh, Juden pickup doesn't work for me. Too much money for you? Too much money. And when Juden asked why did he pick the Pats, his response was, they picked me, which meant they overpaid. This reminds me very much of Adalius Smith. Adalius Thomas. This Mm -hmm. is a, we're going to pick, we're going to go into free agency. We're going to pay top dollar. Let's see if he works outside of Baltimore. And let's see if he does work in, in New England, which is a totally different spectrum than anywhere else. Um, yeah. Would you have resigned? Would you have resigned Cam Newton for the money? Yeah, for the price. For the price. For the price, because they can always look. You can always have him as a backup and get Mac Jones, or get a backup and get Trey Lance. Trey Lance is not going to start day one. No, for any team. I'll be honest. The two quarterbacks I do not think can start. I don't think Lance can start. I don't think Justin Fields is ready to start. Which is why I think if he ends up in Atlanta, that may actually make the most sense because Matt Ryan's not giving up the – Matt Ryan's going to start all next year. Well, Matt Ryan restructured his contract, so there's no way that they can cut him even if they wanted to. So he is definitely definitely playing one more year. But let's go on to the good – there were some good picks, right? I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick for $10 million in Washington. I I know you wanted him in New England. I know you wanted that that whole gauntlet of the AFC East, but look when they if he's throwing and we talked about this, he's throwing to McLaren and to Curtis Samuel with Antonio Gibson behind him and a good offensive line because the one thing that the Redskins do have is a good offensive line. Unlike the rest of the NFC East, they are a viable offense with him. Yeah. And a viable offense with that, he fits well. And this is what we talked about. Because the defense, that defense is good, is very good. Um, they don't need the game manager. They can have more of the risk taker. And that's what Fitzpatrick is. Um, McLaren is a number is a legitimate number one wide receiver. Samuel's kind of a scat back, you know, a little bit of everything kind of player who could do pretty well there. He's played with Rivera before because Rivera obviously Rivera was the coach of Carolina. Before he went to Washington, sure. I think they. Did, I think he did well. I think Cleveland did well. Um, you know, they're they're back four, not great. They picked up John Johnson pretty reasonably priced. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really understand why, considering what the other state, what the other secondary was going. I was surprised he went that low. Um, I think since he did, I think the AFC Central actually did pretty well. I Everybody from Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh got Schuster for eight million on a one-year deal, and because of that, they had to give up Steve Nelson today. So, yeah. so did they really need another wideout? No, no. Did I would they have kept. I would have kept, considering they have Claypool and Deontay Johnson. I probably would have. I probably would have let Schuster go and James Washington. Like they had three, James they Washington. Had three guys that are young and maybe not as skilled yet, or not as experienced yet. But you can't get their defense is going to suffer next year um, without Bud Dupree. I yeah, he signed for eighty-seven bazillion dollars in Tennessee. Oh. John Robinson really, really, really needs a defensive pass. Needs a pass rush. 
because Javion Clowney did not do it when he walked through that door. No, no, he did not. So let's see teams that need help. First, another good signing, by the way, Chris Carson going back to like Seattle him. for a two-year deal. There's 11 million, I think. Yeah. Uh, another maybe what the heck signing is Trent Williams. Not because of that he resigned, just he's 33 years old and he's signing for basically five years guaranteed. And that is a very long contract for an offensive lineman. There will be there will be money paid out almost indefinitely. Um, Will Fuller. He's a, he's a Bobby Bonilla contract? Yeah. Will Fuller, good contract good for contract. Miami. One-year flyer. Deal, the cap opens up. There Makes is sense. no bad one-year deal. Like we we can continually say this over. That's why the franchise deal was franchise tag is so good for NFL teams because there is no bad one-year deal. Nope. And so we're, we're we got Mike McAllister who's standing by. We're going to bring him on, Mike. Uh, let's add you, to, Mike. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, that's Seth Kamens. I'm Sean Palmer. Thanks so much for joining us for a couple of minutes. Um, sure. It's been a it's been a real high here. Uh, so w- first, before we start, where can we find you? Where where can our listeners and our viewers find you online? Well, if you go to our website, it's allsyracuse.com. and then of course on Twitter, you can find me at McAllister Mike One or at All Syracuse on SI. Um, that's our site's Twitter account. You can also find us on Facebook at All Syracuse on SI. And, uh, yeah, we, we have a newsletter. So if you go to our website and, and pick any of our articles, there should be a link in there to sign up for our newsletter. So you'll get stuff emailed to your inbox, breaking news, et cetera. So we encourage everyone to check that out. I am totally amazed by the content that Mike puts out every single day. Uh, I get the newsletter. I am on many of Facebook posting. And uh, you just, throughout the tournament, you have continually, I guess, um, push the right button. So let me, it seems like Jim Beheim seem just to get started. It seems like Jim Beheim struggles during the regular season. And Seth and I have talked about this struggles every year during the regular season. And it takes a while to get to where the zone works is Jim Beheim no longer a regular season coach, but rather just an NCAA tournament coach that knows <laughs> sensei when it comes to it. Well, it helps when you play teams that don't see the zone all the time. You know, I, I think that's a huge part of it. If Syracuse played an entire schedule of non-conference teams, you know, perhaps they'd have a better record than when you're playing. You know, the ACC not only has good teams, they've got elite coaches. You're, you're facing, facing Coach K twice a year. You're, you're facing <clears throat> Chris Mack a couple times a year, Roy Williams, et cetera, Mike Bray. Um, you know, you're, you're facing really good coaches that have seen the zone, know how to coach against the zone, and the more they get used to it, then obviously the better equipped they are to handle it. And that's why the last two times that Syracuse has made NCAA tournament runs, the team that's ended their run is an ACC team, Duke <laughs> North Carolina. <clears throat> Would they have kept going had they c- continued to play non-conference opponents? Who knows? The good news for them is, is they're not going to play a team that they have faced the rest of the way. It's, it's yeah. impossible. Everyone that they have faced is out. The only other ACC team is Florida State, who hasn't played Syracuse this year. And they're on the other side of, of the bracket, so you wouldn't face them till much further down the line. Um, but 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that go into that. Syracuse having limited rosters, um, having some weaknesses like not having a big man, and then you're playing in, in the ACC where it seems like everyone else has a good big. Versus, you know, you play against San Diego State, and yeah, they're really good. That Their offense is extremely efficient and all those things, but they don't have that 6'10", 250-pound guy that you can throw the ball into the post to take advantage of Syracuse's weakness. And then you combine that with the fact that they're not used to the zone. That gives Syracuse an advantage. Houston's kind of the same way, even though they're a very good rebounding team. They don't have that big, bruising, physical big. So those types of things give Syracuse an advantage in the tournament. I also think that, you know, Bayheim the last six, seven years, maybe approaches the regular season a little bit differently. And instead of, obviously, they want to win every game, but he's getting his team ready for March as opposed to over-worrying about a January win over Georgia Tech. Well, I will tell you, I have told Seth this every single year. You get Syracuse on the back end of a of a two-game swing in the tournament, and nobody beats us. Because when you have, when you have only 24 hours to prepare for that zone, nobody beats Syracuse for 24 hours. The front end is a different story. Yes. Yeah, but to absolutely. be fair, I thought with Huggins, who has seen – Syracuse various times over the years, whether it's Cincy or West Virginia, wherever, where these played, they played many times. I thought they would have been more prepared. Um, and look, West Virginia, Syracuse did a brilliant job until the last 45 seconds to a minute and a half of that game. And this is coming and, from someone with absolutely no allegiance to Syracuse, other than 20% <laughs> of his Facebook wall graduated from there. Let me tell you, is, is Bob Huggins the next Tim Allen in Santa Claus? Because that's really where that went. Like, that was a total. I was like, that's Santa Claus. But speaking speaking of being able to prepare, we're on the front end of a, of a weekend here with Houston. Is this a team that, we, that Syracuse matches up well against? Or is this a team that we're going to see some struggles like we would in the ACC? A little bit of both, I think. So from if you're just looking at the roster and you're looking at the size of guys, they have long guards. Mm-hmm and they've got physical, athletic, quick guards. Um, those are the types that have given Joe Girard some problems, especially with ball handling. Yeah, I think Kadari Richmond is probably better suited to, to go up against some of these guys. Um, and, and that means that they're also going to be in Buddy Beheim's face quite a bit. So there's some things from that perspective that, that are going to cause Syracuse some problems. But similar to you know, San Diego State was kind of the same way. They had some some longer guards. Now the big difference is one of San Diego state's guards is five, eight. Houston doesn't have one of those guys. Their guys are still six, two, six, three, six, four, but they just like San Diego state, they have really good rebounding numbers, but a lot of that is because of the level of competition in their conference. It's not because they've got the six, 11, 240 pound guy. That's going to go get eight, nine, 10 rebounds against anybody he faces. You know, their front court is made up of six, seven, six, eight guys. They're made up of guys that look more like Quincy Garrier than they do Luca Garza. So, you know, I think from that perspective, it helps Syracuse. They are one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. We know that that's been an area of weakness for Syracuse. But again, you don't have that North Carolina type front line. So I think that does help Syracuse. I think this is going to be an energy and an effort game. And how hard Syracuse attacks the defensive glass is going to play a large role in this game. But I do think that Houston is beatable. And we've seen, you know, Calvin Sampson is a very good head coach. 
he's gone up against Syracuse his own once, and he was supposed to have the better team, and it didn't go well for him. They lost by 16 points to Syracuse. Was that was that the Indiana team years ago, or was that he gone was Oklahoma that? back in the 2003 regional final? Um, so that that was a game where Syracuse dominated them from the start. They had one of the the players that was in contention for national player of the year in Hollis Price, their lead guard. Um, they had some really good forwards as well. They were one of the better offensive teams in the country. They scored 47 points against the zone. <clears throat> he had no clue how to coach against it. Now, 18 years later, does <laughs> he have a clue now when he hasn't faced it for 18 years? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, an, it's a good question. His team this year might be a little bit more better suited to go against it, and Syracuse doesn't have some of the same caliber players as they did back then. There's no Carmelo Anthony on this team. <laughs> but but still, you know, I, I do think that's a factor. I am curious yeah. to see how they battle against it. The health of their starting point guard is is you know a factor as well. He he was tremendous in the way that he battled through his hip injury to to help them come back against Rutgers. Jarreau, I believe is his name, but is is he gonna be fully healthy against Syracuse? You know, that that remains to be seen. Uh, so there's matchups to like on both sides, but the biggest key is Houston looks like they've been sort of flirting with being beaten several times over the last couple of weeks. You think they beat Memphis in two really close games. They should have lost to Rutgers if Rutgers doesn't completely collapse in the final minute and a half. Syracuse has been, I understand what happened against Virginia, but they've been beating people pretty handily. And and again, if, if they don't fall apart in the last 45 seconds against West Virginia, you know, that's an eight to 12 point win sure. in most circumstances where you're not fumbling all over yourself, trying to give the game away. But, um, you know, I, I think Syracuse is playing clearly it's best basketball this season. And that could be a bigger factor than, you know, potentially some of the individual matchups. So somebody brought up, Seth, just one second. Somebody brought up the other day, a reason why the last 45 seconds of some of these games are so, so terrible. Let's say, um, from a, from just an aesthetics way, from fundamentals, is that these guys are just exhausted, in that there has not been the preparation that there has been in the past. This is a, a very unusual year. I mean, more than anything else that we've ever seen. Is that what you're seeing along the lines of they're late in the game? The conditioning's just not there anymore. I mean, that certainly could play a factor. Um, I know that, that Bayheim runs his team quite a bit in practice, so they're usually in pretty good shape. But, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are minute details that are sort of inches here or there yep. that play out in situations like that. You know, a couple of the times when they threw the ball in into the to a guy in the corner, you know, if he's a step off to the left, he's got a ton more room and he can go either way and now he's not in a precarious situation. If Joe sure. Girard, instead of taking a couple steps forward when Marek is trying to throw him the ball, if he stays put instead of taking a step forward, that pass goes to him instead of being a turnover out of bounds. So there's a lot of, of little things here and there that are about a step or a half a step off that in the normal flow of the game don't seem like that catastrophic of a mistake or don't result in that type of a mistake. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I think the weirdness of the year and the lack of some of the preparation 
having multiple pauses. So when you start getting into a rhythm, then you have to go on pause. You know, that has certainly had an impact on Syracuse. And, you know, I think that's why they're starting to get into their rhythm now. Whereas perhaps without all of that start, stop, start, stop, and then the the limitations because of the pandemic and how often you can be around each other and gel and all of those types of things, perhaps this is a stride that they hit three, four weeks earlier during a normal year. And so you're not even sweating out getting into the tournament. You're wondering what seed they are. There's a lot of factors there. Uh, but again, the most important thing is you're playing well now. Once you get in the tournament, it doesn't matter what seed you are. You're playing a good team every game. And you just keep going and, and seeing how far you can you can take it. Um, so a couple things. Number one, good memory on the Oklahoma 2003 team. I remember them well because I'm a University of Maryland graduate who the year before was supposed to play Oklahoma in a national title game after they kicked our butt by 20 during the regular season. They were the only team that scared us. So I remember the Hollis Price team very well. Um, number two, yeah, Rutgers got extra heartbreaking loss for Rutgers. Terrible. And I know how Sean would have been enthusiastic about a Syracuse Rutgers Sweet 16 game. I would have. <laughs> but you, you still take what you can get. I had to watch Alabama pretend that they were the Alabama football team last night. Um, we were, we've talked about this over the years, about where Bayheim fits in on the pantheon of great coaches. And as a non-Syracuse Syracuse alum who's watched them for, you know, as a big college basketball fan for the last 30 some odd years. I, it's hard to gauge for me. Um, you have your one title, which I don't think was your best team that you won just be just, you just won. You're bet you have better teams with Eton Thomas. You had better team in 87 when you lost on the Keith smart jumper. And then, you, you know, he's taken two teams. You know, he took the John Wallace team, which was not that good to a final four, to a championship game against a incredible Kentucky team and gave him a pretty good run. Where does he fit here? He's no one thinks of him at the Shashevsky Dean Smith wooden level. Um, or I don't, I don't think anyone does. I don't either. I'm you don't either. Yeah. Let's be, let's even, be though, even the biggest in the homers don't. Yeah. I they're do not at the Hank Ivo level either. So. <laughs> so he's, where does he on this? Where, what is his legacy? I, I, he's been there 45 years. The team, as a non-Syracuse alum, as I said, <clears throat> I don't get how this team does this. Every, every year is the 10 seed, 11 seed. I don't see it. I don't – and it's hard for me to gauge because he always looks so unhappy. He always has that look on his face. Let's also understand, Seth doesn't understand why anybody goes to Syracuse University. Not a clue. Unless you go to Newhouse, I don't get it. Um, I, I've now been to a basketball game at the Carrier Dome. Otto Porter scored 34. It was a terrible game. I don't get it. It's in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how he recruits up there. But the joking aside, where does he fit in the pantheon of all-time coaches? He's now, nine, you know, 1,000 wins, top three or four all-time. He's got a championship, three or four Final Fours. Where do you see him? Despite what the NCAA says, he is approaching 1,100 wins. Apologies, I was, yeah. not, I was not trying to be. I know you weren't. I'm just. I'm taking a shot at the NCAA because I can't. Understood. You're not the first person who's done that on this show. Um, so please. And then I will, for 10 seconds, defend Central New York. There's a, usually a lot more going on in Central New York than most people give it credit for. Um, is it New York City? No, but 
you know, there, there are a lot of positives. That's probably a whole separate podcast. We could spend an hour talking about that. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let the two of you guys host that one. I'll, I'll <laughs> that's good. Um, and of course, I was born here. So that's that's important to know. Um, but you're an Eagles fan. I am. <laughs> um, McNabb. He, he was my favorite college football player of all time. McNabb, he so. was a lot of fun to watch. So um, as far as where he fits in the Pantheon, here's here's kind of the issue, right? When you start comparing him with other all-time greats. So we'll start there. He's an all-time great coach. We can start with that generic kind of uh-huh. macro-level comment. <clears throat> where he fits in there, he's probably somewhere in the top 20 of all-time great coaches. Where is probably a lot to do with personal preference. Um a lot of the coaches that he's going to be compared to will have more than one title. So that will be a sort of con if you're doing a pro and con list, comparing him to other other great coaches. Like the one counter to that, I will say, is whether or not Derek Coleman makes a free throw in 87 doesn't determine whether or not Jim Beheim is an all-time great coach, right? So if, if Derek Coleman makes a free throw in 1987 and makes a couple of free throws, Syracuse beats Indiana, Beheim has two titles, is he now all of a sudden the eighth best coach of all time instead of the 18th best coach of all time? Yeah, I, I wasn't asking for a specific right. you know, where. Yeah. But he's, he's in that discussion, and so you can sort of go back and forth with some of that. I think the feather that he has in his cap is a lot of the – you start comparing him to Roy Williams, to Mike Shashevsky, and even though no one's going to put him above those guys, what he I has would. above he would. He would. You put him over Roy, Roy Williams, ten out of ten. <laughs> I, I would. I would not argue with you about Roy Williams, but just in it, at least with Coach K um, as yeah. well. The one thing that he's got, there's actually two things that he's got on on those guys. One, he's never had a losing season, and that I think sometimes is underappreciated. You know, he's been a coach for 45 years and has never had a losing season. That's an incredible feat. That's almost more – I think you could argue that that's more difficult than winning a national championship or even winning a couple of national championships is coaching for 45 years and never having a losing season. Kentucky this year had a losing season with the number one recruiting class in the country, a bunch of five stars all over their roster. Um, last year, North Carolina, with a bunch of stud recruits, had a terrible year with a losing season. Duke was 500 this year. I mean, so it tells you how difficult it is to have that many years of coaching without a losing record. I think that's incredibly impressive. And then the other thing, you know, we're, we're talking about what is it about Beheim with the 10 seed, 11 seed, et cetera. He's been more successful in getting teams that aren't supposed to be good and making runs with them than almost any other coach you're going to see on the list, right? He's nine and two as a double digit seed. That's, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Absurd. That That is absurd. Now he's going to end up with three losses unless they win the national championship. Now, if he wins a national championship, you'd be 12 and two, I think at that point as, as a double digit seed with a national title and a couple he's of only been a, He's only been a double. I mean, I know they went to the final four the one year they they blew out Virginia in the final eight game. Um, I don't remember that. Prior to 10 years ago, they were never a double-digit seed. Right. That, so he was in in 16, which is the final four you're talking about, when they, they went to the final four. They lost to Michigan, yeah. And and uh, then in 18, they made the Sweet 16 after beating Michigan State, and then they lost to Duke. Um, and, again, 
the Michigan game was the final four before that 2013 or 14, whatever it was. 2016, when they went to the final four as a double digit seed, they lost to North Carolina. Because it was another eight. Right. That was the Vill- is that the Villanova North Carolina is that yes. the Villanova North that Carolina was the college basketball game I've ever seen live. Yes, that was incredible. Um, yep. So he's got the fact that he's taken those double digit seeds and he's been a double digit seed three times, and in each time he has at least made the Sweet Sixteen. That's and, and again he's nine and two, so he's got an 85, 88, whatever winning percentage that is. And it's not the first time that that he's done that. He was the first four seed to make a Final Four. Um, you know, it's there's so those types of things that are, you know, probably not on the same level as a national championship, but again, are in his back pocket as things that he can put on his resume that a Coach K and some of those other, you know, Roy Williams, whoever you're going to compare him to, aren't going to have on their side. So, you know, I think he's probably somewhere in the top 20. I think it depends on how much you value different things that are on their resumes as to where you actually put him in there, but he's certainly one of the greatest coaches of all time. And I do think that there are times where he is underappreciated from a national perspective and from a local perspective. Seriously. Uh, And, and two things, first of all, Seth hates Roy Williams. He thinks Roy Williams is the most overrated coach in basketball history. It's not that I hate Roy Williams, but I'm I'm of the Bill. If you're follow college football, I'm from the Bill Snyder mentality, where if you, I'm more impressed by you building a team that is 0 and 12 to 10 and 2 than taking over a 10 and 2 team and going to 12 and up. And he's Roy Williams has coached at Kansas and North Carolina. He's never struggled for recruits. He's never struggled for anything. I don't. I've never <laughs> found him to be. Anything, I don't think he's a, I don't certainly don't think he's a bad coach. Don't get me wrong. He's three national t- or two or three national titles. I forget which, but I'm much more impressed by someone like Beheim who built Syracuse up to what, you know, whatever you want to call it, it what call, call what it is as a program at this point. And Sean and I go back and forth because I always consider Maryland and Syracuse kind of relatively equivalent in a lot of ways. Um, but a year from now too, but they kind of, in my comparison, we were talking John Thompson, one title, built the team up, was consistently a threat for many years, although they never really got to, they never, they should have won more than one title. But I guess the, now the question is, who the heck wants to follow him? This is a job loaded for disaster. And I've called it the Bill Gothridge syndrome. It is. This it is, is Bill, Bill. This is waiting for Bill Gothridge. You don't want to be the guy after the guy. You want to be the guy after the guy after the guy. Right, because he had Gothridge, then you had Matt Doherty, who right. didn't, you know, wanted, wanted coach of the year and then fell apart. And then you had Roy, and Roy's been there for the last 20 years. I looked there, Hopkins is, is not coming back. You're going to, are you, are you, there's the family tree. I don't know if you want the family tree at this point. Do you want an ex player like Autry or Devendorf or Hart? Who do you think ends up following him? Uh, maybe Buddy Beheim foregoes a pro career and goes right in. another <laughs> <laughs> um, 50 years. We just have Beheim. So we got another 50 years of Beheim. Um, you know, I, well, I'll tell you who will want the job. It's the guys that are currently on the staff underneath Jim Beheim right now. They're all going to want it, right? The, yes. They'll have no qualms about taking over for, for Coach Beheim trying to continue what he did. Um, if Hopkins ends up getting fired from Washington – 
you know, they have another bad year next year, for example. Um, could he want that job to get back into coaching? You know, I think he'd take it if it was offered to him at that, at that point. And I do think that there would be some interest from it uh, for that job on a national perspective. But the next hire I do think is incredibly important because you look at Syracuse football. I look at this as the, as the example, right? When they, they went from Coach Mac to Coach P, yep. and they were a top 25 team essentially year in and year out. They were always good. They were always going to a bowl game. They played really good non-conference opponents. They played them tough, had some big wins. They were a team that you had to respect on the national landscape. And then Coach P had a couple of down years, and they got rid of him with a new AD and all that, and then made arguably the worst hire in college football history. Greg Robinson. Right. (laughs) If you make a hire like that, even though it's Syracuse basketball, which branding-wise is infinitely above what Syracuse football was at that point, it still can set you back so that it takes a long time to get back. Now, there, there are a lot of advantages that you do have. You have that history. The block S that is sitting behind Sean still means something on a national perspective. It means something to recruits. There is instant respect when you have that. It would take a lot to diminish that. You have incredible facilities. You still have the 30,000 people at the Dome that will come watch a game. It's an incredible atmosphere. It's very impressive to recruits when they come watch games there. So you do have a lot of things going in your favor, but there are some things going against you, which is part of why it's been so tough for the football program to build itself back up. So even if the guy that they hire after Jim Beheim isn't long-term the next guy, he can't be Greg Robinson level bad. He has to be like, you're getting to the NIT, but struggling to get to the NCAA tournament bad. That That's about the worst that you can have. And then you bring in someone else who within a year or two can get you back in the NCAA tournament. And then you feel like you're, you're back. In the- you, you need the you need the bridge. Yes. You need what Bill Guthridge actually was for three years. Remember, because Mark, Sean, he went. Uh, oh, I know. He went, he went to the final four, I believe. Yeah, the next year. Yeah. Next year, but, and then he had what he had two good years, one bad year, and then he was out. And the thought was Doherty was gonna he was the bridge to Doherty. The the issue is with the guys that are on the bench right now is that they are all revered. They're all legends in Syracuse lore. And you don't while Guthridge was the right hand man, he was not Adrian Autry. He was certainly not Jerry McNamara to North Carolina fans. Jerry McNamara fails in Syracuse. It's a legend going down. It's not a. It's not the right hand man of Jim Beheim, even if he is the right hand. Is Clyde Drexler going down at Houston? Yes, and that is not someplace you want to be, and somewhere, and it's not where the university wants to put him either. I mean, that's not. He's he's the shining star. So let's talk about next year. And I know we're not even done with this year, but I think this is across all different sports. How is this transfer thing going to work? Because to me, we're going through NFL free agency right now, and I just feel like this is just a bag of money away from doing it every single player. Like we've seen so many people – today we saw a North Carolina player go through the transfer portal. 
I don't think I've ever seen a North Carolina player go to the transfer portal, a, a starter. And so a really good his, player. A, a, really a good. very good player, right? <laughs> a player Syracuse could certainly use. He would have started player, with Syracuse all season this year. And yeah. Carl Fusillo is ready with a bag of money. We're, I mean, this is like blue chips already. How is this going to work itself out with the returning starters not making their decisions and how all this influx of an additional year? How, how, this is the Wild West to me. It is. Now, let me briefly address the bag of money situation. <laughs> we, know, we know that there are all these issues with the – college basketball recruiting scandals, right? That's been well-documented with Nike and Adidas and all those things. Syracuse is a school that has not been mentioned in any of those. I would just say this. For people wondering why they don't get top 10 recruits. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I was being facetious with I know you were. I'm saying that more to everyone else than to you specifically. But regarding, (laughs) regarding transfers, Yes, it's going to be the wild, wild west. And I think for the next few years, while this is new, it's going to be that way. I am hopeful that at some point it will settle down and become more of an option, but not the norm as much as we're seeing it now. You look at football, for example, there are more people in the portal than there are spots. Right. And so there are people that can't find homes to play where if they had just stayed where they were, they might not have played as much as they would have liked, but they'd be on a roster. Now, I don't know that that much that will be as big of a factor in basketball, but that is a concern. The biggest issue is you're going to get into situations where someone like the kid from North Carolina, he plays – but maybe doesn't play as much as he wants. He's not playing 30, 35 minutes a game. He's playing 15 to 20 minutes a game as a freshman and says, I should be a starter playing over 30 minutes a game. So he transfers instead of waiting for a year or two to get to that. And I think that's where you're starting to see things. So, you know, there's people are looking at Syracuse's roster and say, Woody Newton was playing early in the season. He's a true freshman. He was playing early in the season. Now he's not. Is he going to leave? That's where you're at, where when a yep. guy comes in and doesn't play huge minutes right away, well, he's going to leave now. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, and that's going to continue to be the case, you're going to see roster turnover left and right every single year for the foreseeable future. It's it's unfortunate, I think, in, in some respects. Um, I, I wish that Sometimes these players would be a little bit more patient, wait their turn, bide their time, develop behind the scenes, and then when they get the opportunity, take advantage of it, as opposed to bolting as soon as you have an opportunity. But that's not reality right now. So I do think there's going to be the wild, wild west, and I think what's going to happen is in a place like Syracuse, if you lose three or four players to transfer, you know, if Woody Newton, John Bolajock say, we're not going to play, so we're leaving – then Syracuse is going to have to replace those guys with portal guys. And so in one respect, you're kind of trading one for the other, but at the same time, it's hurting roster continuity. Um, You know, it's, it's hurting the development of those players because changing systems and changing coaching styles, sometimes it can help, but sometimes it can hurt. 
So I think there's a lot of consequences that sometimes the players themselves aren't thinking about when they're making those decisions, but at least for the next couple of years, it's going to be complete chaos. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. We really do appreciate your time and hopefully uh, towards the fall, we'll have you back on for the football season. That sounds good. Thanks for having me on guys. Right. Thanks. I'll let thanks. you guys host the Syracuse, the Syracuse podcast. after. Yeah. Thanks Mike. Thanks to Mike McAllister. You can follow him on the scroll below at www.si.com backslash college backslash Syracuse. It was great having him and we'll have him on again in the future. Um, yeah, Seth, uh, the Wild West is definitely going to happen. Like the, As Mike said, it's going to be free agency for college basketball and college football. And your favorite line of, it will be interesting is uh something to to be said before we before we log off and we got about a couple of minutes i wanted to touch about uh, touch upon the passing of elgin baylor and seth i know this is this is one of your guys this is a guy that you talk about a lot as and your dad has mentioned him a lot as to he was the original one he was the guy that laid the foundation for dr j who laid the foundation for Magic, who laid the foundation for Michael Jordan and Kobe and keep going. So uh, I, I'd love your perspective on this. I mean, Elgin, one of a kind. I think, what, I think what happens is, you know, as we go further and further past the gen generation over generation, the people who started it, who were the mainstays, fall further and further down. Good example is a guy who's called into the show before, Zach Ziskin. Um, you know, never realized how good Jordan was until he watched the last dance. <laughs> so we were, and he's knowledgeable. So yeah. when we're talking about guys who played in their in the sixties and that's, you know, really when he was, that was Baylor's prime. Um, there was no, he, he falls down the wayside. When we started following sports and give or take 1980, 82, 83, yeah. Elgin Baylor, when you had your top five to 10 of all time, Elgin Baylor was Bob Cousy or Oscar Robertson, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Bill Russell or Walt Ch or Will Chamberlain, one of the two, Bob Pettit and Elgin Baylor, yep. and maybe John Havlicek. Those were your six or seven. None of those guys are ever mentioned anymore, um, except for occasionally Russell, because I bring him up in my top three, and Chamberlain because he's Chamberlain. Um, but everyone else has kind of fallen, 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 fallen. You don't hear Jerry West in the top three shooting guards of all time. You don't hear Oscar Robertson. You, and more than anything else, you don't hear Elgin Baylor. And I think part of that is because he never won a title. Went to the championship six times, seven times. Never He retired the year that he retired in 69-70 or 70-71, the year that the Lakers would finally, behind West, Goodrich and Chamberlain would finally win a title. And won 33 straight that year. He won 33 yeah. straight. And annihilated the Knicks, I think, in five in, 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 the, uh, in, in the NBA championship game. He was the original smooth. Um, played at the University of Seattle, led them to a national title game. Uh, they didn't win the title. They lost to Kentucky in 58. Was probably a 10 or 11 or 12-time All-Star. Was considered the original of that, you know, just – Smooth game, great rebounder, great player. Um, 
lost a bit of his luster and legacy when he was the GM for the Clippers for many, many years. And unfortunately, to anyone who's younger, that's probably where the thought process is. And that's unfortunate. It is. Understand that's unfortunate. So back when, and we're going to go over for a little bit, and that's okay. When, when you talk about Elgin Baylor, understand how hard it was for a black man to get a general manager job in the 70s and 80s. It was not easy. And he worked for Donald Sterling, and we all know what Donald Sterling was later. And he was fired. He worked 15, 16 years for Donald Sterling, but it was still a general manager job. It was him and Wes Unseld. And I believe that was it amongst black general managers in the 60s, in the 70s and 80s. And to have one of those 30 jobs, and I think at the time it was 24 jobs, you don't just give it up. So, yeah, we remember the Clippers being downtrodden. We remember the Clippers being cheap. But let's not put that at the foot of Elgin Baylor. Let's put that at the foot and at the feet of the rightful culprit, and that's Donald Sterling. So if you're – I would recommend any basketball fan to – look, there are YouTube clips of Elgin Baylor, lots of them. Go look at him. I was just thinking, as you said that, Seth, he reminds me of George Gervin. That is a a better rebounding George Gervin. That's who stronger he, yeah, so so rest in peace, Elgin Baylor. Uh, next week we will have, uh, barring that Syracuse is going to the Final Four where we might take 20 minutes to talk about them, we'll have our baseball preview. And uh, that's Seth Kamins. I'm Sean Palmer. And thanks again to Mike McAllister for joining us, and we'll see you all next week. Have a great Thank week, you. everybody.